in a series, and uh, the series is entitled Find Your Pace. Find Your Pace. And again, I want to welcome everybody who is watching online. We're so glad that you're with us, that you're tuning in. Maybe you're even watching this days after it was aired. We're glad you're tuning in. We're glad you're catching up. Um, but we are in week three of Find Your Pace. You can always go get caught up. We are on Facebook uh, with our messages, but we're also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, lots of ways that you can spread. Um, believe it or not, it's actually a common question. Hey, how can I share the message? I feel like someone could use that encouragement or need that word. You can share the Facebook link. You can always share the Spotify link, the Apple Podcast links, different ways. You just search Artisan Church. But I'm excited. This one um, is actually the message that, that really kind of struck a chord and, and was something I wanted to preach months ago and felt like it was a part of this series at this time and this moment. So this is one that I have been fired up for, I'm excited for, I'm going to do my best to get through the content. Uh, and, uh, and if I can't, we're going to do part two next week. I'll just split it and I'll just preach, we'll just preach part one, part two next, next week. It'll be awesome. And, uh, but we are uh, going to dive into finding the pace of of your purpose, finding the pace of your purpose. So Lord Jesus, I just pray, take a moment and I just commit this uh, message to you, Father. I just really believe you're in the room and you're speaking and, and Holy Spirit, this is something we need. Every single one of us in this room, this message is something we need to be reminded of, encouraged with, and God, would you just challenge some of our thinking today? Would we be open to your challenge? In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Truly, I, I think that sometimes, um, I think sometimes we look at pastors as the person who has to have all of the answers. And I think that that at times can, can actually do an injustice to you. That if you think there is a single individual alive today who has all the answers for your life. That they could solve every single problem and they have every single answer for you. I think that sometimes that's an injustice. Where really, right, sometimes the role of the pastor as a shepherd, we know that shepherds are called to help shepherd the sheep. We're not driving and forcing them, but you shepherd them. And so the reality is this is one of those where today I don't want to give you every answer around purpose? Because I don't think I have every answer around purpose. Is that okay if I say that? I don't think I have everybody's purpose for their life figured out. I don't think I've got all the answers to why you were created, why you're here. Um, and I don't even see that as my role or my job. And I'm not intelligent enough for that. But the reality is what I do believe is that as a pastor that is speaking today, that's on this platform, that it is my job to help, help shepherd, help steer, help maybe challenge some ways that you have framed and thought about your purpose so that inevitably you can discover more of what Jesus has made you to do because Jesus does have the answers. Jesus does have the solutions. Jesus does have the direction for your life. And so today I want to challenge our thinking, and this is something that, if I'm being really honest, has been a huge part of my journey in just the last couple of years because I've had a bit of a radical redefining of what my purpose is, mainly because I never, ever wanted to be a lead pastor. And you're like, awesome. And now you're a lead pastor. That's great news. I'm so glad you're saying that, Pastor Sam. You just shattered every, every uh, expectation. But here's the reality. I had so many dreams around being a youth pastor. I just did. I wanted to be a youth pastor for a long time before I was a youth pastor. And then I had dreams of what I wanted to do in youth ministry. And if I'm being really honest, 
I never dreamt past it. Like, like I never asked what's on the other side. I just felt that's what I was going to do. And, and I was so, you know, consumed with the call of God in my life to do those things and to focus on those things and to be the best youth pastor I could be. And I had these things that I wanted to accomplish and I wanted to launch a camp and I wanted to create a conference and I wanted a, a, a vibrant discipleship uh, program for teenagers. That I, mean, I had all these dreams that I wanted to accomplish and I was working on them and I was doing them and I was living it out. But what happens when all of a sudden you've never dreamt past something and God starts to speak to you about what's next? And you're like, oh, no, no, I'm living what's next. This is why I was made, God. Don't you know me? This is, this is the fullness of everything I want. Like, like, what do you mean what's next? And see, we get this issue. It actually started, um, it actually started for me, I believe, with, with the age-old thing that we do to children. We all are guilty. Every adult in the room is guilty of this. I promise you, you have asked a kid, hey, kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? You've asked somebody this, and, and probably just because you don't know what else to ask, because you're like me and you're not good with kids. I'm good with my kids. I'm not good with your kids. Like, I don't know your little people, and, and I get nervous. I'm intimidated by children sometimes. Um, look at me. I'm so brave. But, right, sometimes we just ask these things. But I, I remember being in seventh grade at Friendly Hills Middle School, and, and they actually brought people in to discuss and to talk about it, seventh grade, I, was, I think I was 12, 13 years old, so something like that. And they're like, we, you gotta figure out what you wanna be when you grow up, seventh grader. You gotta get this figured out. And, and they actually like, had us take these tests to help us identify our, our passions and our desires. And they're like, Sam, what do you wanna go to college for? What do you wanna be when you grow up? I'm like, I wanna be a hockey player. I figured it out. I wanna be a hockey player. I finally made the A team this year. And so I think I got some potential. I think I got some potential. I'm on the A team, the Pee Wee A team for the West St. Paul, and I'm doing some good things. I'm making some big moves, okay? I'm, I want to be a hockey player. At that point, seventh grade, you want to know the fullness of my dreams? My only real dream I had was to play in the Boys State High School Hockey Tournament at the XL Energy Center. Like, that was it. Like, I was like, if I could do that, nothing else matters. <laughs> like, if I could accomplish this goal, nothing else would matter. What greater purpose could there be? than to play in the Boys State High School hockey tournament. That is goals. That is all I could do. And, and yet there's this pressure to figure out what you want to do. How many of you are still trying to figure out what you're going to be when you grow up? <laughs> like, I'm still asking the question, Pastor Sam. I don't know. Right? Because I think it's the wrong question. I think it's, in fact, a bit of a dangerous question. That you have the capacity to figure out what you're supposed to be, and that your purpose is linked to a position. I think that's a dangerous thing. That if my purpose and my calling is fulfilled in getting a position or a title, aka youth pastor, what happens when I no longer carry that title? Now I have to go through a bit of an identity crisis. Now all of a sudden I have to question everything. Now all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, my plans didn't work out. You go to college for four years to do something, and maybe you didn't get hired for that job. And you're like, I have a diploma. I've got a sheet of paper, and, and I've never used it. I've never done it. Did you miss your purpose? Did you miss it? Did you mess up? Did you get it wrong? Because sometimes that's what the world feels like it's telling us. Like, if we can't figure out a game plan, graduate, go to school, follow, check all the boxes, 
And we sort of have this timeline of our life. And if I do everything right, each step, if I do high school right, then I get into the right college. And if I get into the right college, then I get into the right internship. And if I get into the right internship, then I get into the right job. And if I sit at that desk long enough, maybe eventually I'll get an office. And then if I get an office, then eventually maybe I can become a a boss or a manager or maybe even a CEO. And I'm going to climb this ladder. And if I'm smart, I'm going to put enough money away. And in my timeline, eventually, if I play my cards right, I can retire at a young age and check, check, check. Now I'm in retirement and then my retirement is this, and then where does it go from there? It's a timeline. It's this line that we we walk down, that we live by, and, and, and really, at the end of the day, none of that's in the Bible. None of it. Not one thing I just said about the timeline that in which we frame our whole lives is in Scripture. We don't see timelines laid out. Because God, and I want to, I want to, this is where I want to challenge our thinking a little bit today. I don't think this is how God presents purpose. I don't think he sees it as an arrival point. And and I actually want to frame it as I often do through the story of Jesus. I think that he is our example and we're trying to follow his way. Um, I love that, right, the early church was called the way. Because they, they understood, they were very close to the reality that they were practicing the way of Jesus. And and we see a young Jesus at, at about age 12, scholars believe, and, and, uh, and this, this story gets picked up in Luke chapter 2. And I want to peer in at, at 12-year-old Jesus. This is him at my age where all I could think about was the Boys State High School hockey tournament. Exact same age, right? This is Jesus at that age. And, uh, and we're going to pick it up in verse 41 of chapter 2, Gospel of Luke. It says in verse 41, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. This was common practice for Jews of the day. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. So this is kind of one of those moments where you travel with all your relatives, all your friends, all your family goes. And so he's 12 and... Apparently the parents are starting to get confident, like he can handle himself. He can run off with his cousins. He can go off and do that. And he and John the Baptist can hang out. It's all good. Like they can do whatever they want. Like we're, we're safe. It's fine. And so, so when the feast was ended, they were returning home. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem and his parents did not know it, right? These are not helicopter parents, apparently. Like they, they didn't know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a whole day's journey, <laughs> But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, 12-year-old Jesus, sitting in the temple among the teachers, those who had given their entire life to learning the word, their entire life to the teaching of the word. He was among teachers teaching because he was listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why? Why have you treated us so? So behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. I said that way too calmly. I don't think she was like, Behold, we have been in great distress. It was like, Jesus! What are you doing? Do you not know? I haven't slept in three days. You know, like it was, I guarantee, like... Like, this is the only way. This is the only way she's real. I just, and uh, it shows you we've been in great distress. 
And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he, so he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. He was submissive to them. So here we see this moment where young Jesus seems to have the same profound ability as 30-year-old Jesus. If you don't know the story, we, where it goes right here. It goes from this into John the Baptist preparing the way, and then it goes down. And also we see Jesus back on the scene at age 30 being tempted and being baptized and all of these moments. But what happens is he's at age 12, and he has the same ability, it seems, as age 30. He's able to wow the teachers of the law and the people, and he drew a crowd with his teachings, with his understandings, with his concepts and his ideas. Wouldn't it seem a little crazy that 12-year-old Jesus, who has all of those abilities and capabilities, would then submit to his parents and go anonymous? Because where does he go, age 12 to age 30? What does that even look like? What, what's happening? What happened? It seems like he's living his purpose out here, doesn't it? Hey, his purpose should be, if he's got that information, he should be in the temple. He should be seen. He should be public. His purpose clearly is being put on the shelf. I mean, come on, parents of Jesus. Come on, Mary and Joseph. Don't ask him to put that on the show. What are you doing? Why are you asking him to submit to you? That's, that's messed up. That's, that shouldn't be the pace. Jesus should go public. And, and when I see this story, it's one of those moments where you're going, like, this is not the pace of life I would have wanted if I was Jesus. Like, I'm capable. I'm ready. Now shelve it. Put it on the side. Go anonymous. Don't go public. Don't teach in the public eye. And, 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 and really this obedience moment here for Jesus looks and brings on anonymity for close to two decades. And I wonder, I wonder, I always think like this when I read the Bible. I'm like, so, so what were people saying about Jesus at like age 28? Because as, uh, you know, their, their, their culture would have dictated often um, you know, children wouldn't leave their parents until marriage. So upon engagement, the future husband would then go and build a house, they, and that's when they would move out of their parents' houses. They would literally go upon engagement and go build a house, and then once the house was ready, that's when they got married, and then they go live in that house that they built. And uh, come on, ladies, how many wish that your husband had a house ready for you when you got married, right? You're like, that's a great, can we bring that back? That sounds awesome. Um, I, I had a really cool apartment. One bedroom, rented it. Uh, right, and, and you're trying to, they're preparing. So it, it could be suggested, I'm, I'm not saying this is definitive, but it could be suggested that Jesus was still living at home, unmarried, at 28. And this would have been culturally looked down upon. So he was like the classic millennial story, eating cornflakes in his mom's basement, <laughs> working, right? And it's Jesus, like... Like, what were people saying? What was the town gossip? What were people saying about him? And yet it seems that he was okay with it. He was working for his dad. He was working with his hands. And, and what's so interesting is I, I, I always put myself in that. Would, would people have thought that he was wasting his potential? Would, would people have thought that he had missed his purpose? Clearly he missed out on it. He missed the moment. But what's interesting is if you jump further along in the story, and I'll read the verse out of Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. 
right as he begins to go public with his faith, he goes to get baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And I think there's something really important that happens in this verse that actually matters for your purpose today. This was what God said. It said, as he was baptized and came up out of the water, behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Mom's basement eating cornflakes, and I'm pleased. And what we see is that Jesus had yet to perform, but God was already pleased. Jesus hadn't gone public. He hadn't gone and changed the world. He hadn't developed a following. He hadn't built a ministry. He hadn't done any of it. And yet here he is getting baptized, and God looks down at his son and goes, I am pleased with him. John the Baptist was the only one who understood the weight of Jesus showing up on the scene. Everyone else was clueless to it at this moment. He was a nobody. He had not made it public. He had not performed. And yet here God is pleased. He's pleased with him. And this is a very strong case. This helps frame a very strong case for a needed adjustment in our view on the pace of our purpose that we might need to shift a little bit of how we see the pace of our purpose in our life and the pace at which we um, actually please God. And and let me help propose a way that can help reframe this. And this is something, uh, Renee and I have conversations around this a lot, and we have over the years. And and, um, it was something, especially as a youth pastor, I I struggle with this tension a lot where where, with teenagers always feeling like they had to wait for permission to do anything for God. Because you kind of get this mentality, like, once people tell me I'm ready, then I'll go and do it. Once people say, like, then I'm going to go and make it happen. And, and in that timeline, right, that timeline, I'm not there yet. Probably after college, you know, I'll probably peak somewhere around my 40s is really when I'm going to discover my purpose. We think this way. This is how the American culture helps us frame our purpose. That once we get to a certain point in our linear timeline, and I wanted to have a whiteboard up here, but thanks to shipping not working anymore. It's supposed to arrive on Thursday, but it's still not here. Anybody dealing with that too? You're like, I don't, it's just like a great suggestion. They're like, here's the date that it should arrive at. And you're like, it's, yeah, it's just a date. We'll see. And of course it's not here yet. Um, but, 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 but we, so often we think of our life linear in a line, moving in one direction straight. And there's all these different timelines we try and set and create. And we see our life this way. But again, I want to presents a strong case for considering purpose through more of a cyclical lens, not a linear one. And I say cyclical for a reason. Circular is just a single circle. Cyclical is repeating cycles. It's repeating circles. So it's circles that continue. It's it's like recycling, resetting, and it's circles. And, And the reality is all of creation is cyclical, right? We've got the earth orbiting around the sun, dictating our years. We've got it spinning the other way and creating our days. We've got the seasons. Come on, Minnesota. We know seasons. We get them all, baby. We get all four in all of its glory, right? And and then we watch as everything is right now dying. Is it dying to stay dead? No, it's dying to get new life. There there is cycles and there are seasons to life. And, and, And in fact, we understand that Right? God is even above space and time. He does not see time. To him, right, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. It, it, time is different 
for him. And so when we see this linear timeline, I actually have kind of studied where would this thinking come from? Because the ancients would not have thought this way. They didn't think about life linearly. But the reality is, I think it comes even more from just the American idea of the corporate ladder. It's this idea of like, you could even say it's it's an upward, I just got to climb. And if I can climb high enough, then I'll find my purpose. If I can achieve enough, then I'll find my purpose. If I can perform good enough, then I will find my purpose. When is enough enough, though? When does that end? It's sort of this never-ending race, and it automatically means that at some point you're going to peak in your purpose, and then you're going to decline. And from there, what's after that? Is it really that important? But I want to suggest this cyclical idea. You see, Jesus didn't sweat anonymity, and for him... His purpose wasn't just this arrival point. And you could say the whole thing is the cross. Well, actually, I, I, Jesus is still living out his purpose. Did you know he's coming back? Like, like we act like the cross was the culmination, but isn't, aren't we still waiting on the, like, like it's not done yet. We act like he finished. He's not finished. He's still doing it. And in fact, we understand that Jesus was there before the earth was created. He's been there at the beginning. It's gonna be at the end. And And essentially, you can't have infinity in a line. It doesn't work, but it can be in a cyclical cycle. It can be in a circular motion, right? And there there is this, uh, this nature that we see. All of God's creation helps us to understand this. Jesus has been there since the beginning, and he will be there after. He was and is and is to come. He was and is and is to come all at once. He is the beginning and he's the end. So is that on polar opposites or is it consistently the beginning and the end always happening? Can our life, I just, can, can we just think about this a little different and just frame it in a way that maybe can give us purpose today? And, and, and another way I think we get the, the line is we honestly from Hebrews 12.1, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we seek race. So we're like, line, race. Okay, but what culture of race, uh, races was built in this was actually ancient Olympics is what, is what Paul would have understood when he was writing this. And they actually raced on race tracks. He's not talking about a marathon. Do you know the first marathon wasn't ran until 18, I think it was 1896 or 69 when there was Olympics in Greece again. And they, they did it obviously to honor the guy who ran like 280 miles, not whatever it is, 26.2. I don't know. I don't have a bumper sticker to say I'm cool and ran a marathon. Um, right? The, the, yeah. So, so it's, so, but, but, but it, what he would have been, when he's saying run the race, he's picturing a racetrack. That was the races they understood. I did a whole deep dive on this. That, that, that would have been of, of varying lengths. And, and it's interesting, too, when he says run the race with endurance, because actually the thinkers of the day, they actually uh, w- w- would argue for whole body training regardless of what, um, what, what, what you were competing in. So if you were a runner or a high jumper, well, that's just your legs. You should just train out your legs. The Greeks actually believed in whole body training. That if you would train head to toe, your mind and your body and every arm and every muscle, they would do whole body training so that they were ready for whatever came. And so he's saying, run your race with endurance. He's saying, hey, 
you got to train every facet of who you are today so you can continue running your race. Continue running your race. And your purpose is not an arrival point way off 26.2 miles from now. Your purpose is not something that's so far off. Your purpose is actually today. It's actually today. You can live out your purpose today. And linear thinking essentially makes us run from something. We would say, okay, if our, if our life in Christ, when we got saved, we're running from sin to someone. So we're running from sin to Jesus and to a purpose. So we're running from something to someone and they're at opposite ends. And my race is trying to get there. And that's a dangerous way to frame it because cyclical thinking says run with someone for something my purpose. Run with someone for something. So instead it's saying, hey, Jesus, I can only run this race with endurance by following your way, and I can only follow your way by proximity to you, so let's run this race together. Jesus, what do you want me to do today? Jesus, what does the whole body training look like? Is my arm weak today? Is this part of me weak today? And he said, hey, uh, really it's a, it's a spiritual application of what are you weak in spiritually? Part of your purpose is found in how do I continue to be effective and run my race with endurance today? How do I continue to do this lap, this, this run this race, this thing that I'm facing today? But the problem with this thinking is if our purpose is orbital, then we can't be at the center of it. Did you catch that? If our purpose is orbital then we aren't at the center of it. That's a tough thing to think about because most humans don't like the idea that you might not be the hero of your story. <laughs> that does not make money. <laughs> Hollywood knows this. Like nobody doesn't want to be the hero of their own story. We want to be the central focus of our narrative. I want my whole life to be essentially about me. And when you say it, it kind of comes out bitter, right? But yet how true is it? that so often we want to be the central focus. We want the world to orbit around us. And actually some great thinkers, um, it was actually some Christian thinkers uh, like, like, like Martin Luther or John Calvin that were actually super um, resistant to the idea that the earth wasn't the center of the universe. Because it was hard for them to imagine that everything's not rotating about it around us. And that's just a human element of saying, hey, the, we, we're the center of the universe and God's saying, actually, I'm trying to get you to think the universe is so much bigger than you and you're a small part on it and I am the center of the whole story. It is about me, it is about my relationship and I am jealous for that and that is right and that is good and that is okay and I am the center of this story. I am at the center of your purpose. I am at the center. Why? Because I'm the one who created you. A great friend of mine, he's speaking again November 7th. Some of you heard him in January, Manny Orango. And I just believe he's one of the best preachers of our generation. And he posted recently, he was saying, hey, don't forget you're a vessel. Vessels, my cup doesn't decide what I pour into it. My cup doesn't give me feedback on how I use it. I might use it to clean a paintbrush with and put some water in there, clean a paintbrush with it. I might use it for my coffee. I might use it for some apple juice for my kids. My cup, does my vessel does not tell me the purpose because that is my cup 
and, and I, maybe I made it, or, or I, this is what I have, and I'm going to see how it's used. At the end of the day, you are a vessel, you are made, you are clay, you were formed by the potter's hands, and he has the purpose for you. He has the purpose for you. And so when we start to think that seventh grade us can create a timeline of what we want to see for our life, that is such low-level thinking. It's just minimizing so much of your potential. You are going to waste the best parts of who you are because probably you haven't put in the work to build the endurance to even discover the best parts of who you are. And you don't even know the layers of what God has put inside of you because it takes effort and endurance to figure out how I'm going to run my race with endurance and effectiveness and to actually be effective in season and out of season and be effective day in and day out. Because at the end of the day, I need to figure out, I, my purpose has to meet me today. The greater purpose, like it has to be here today. And it cannot just be this arrival point. I can't be the center of it. If it's all about me, that's how I know I'm getting it wrong. Seriously. Like when all of a sudden, I start thinking it's all about me and call of God on my life plans he has for me, right? We love to make Jeremiah 29, 11 about a person, not a people. <laughs> I have plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. It's actually speaking to the Israelites, like a whole group of people, <laughs> a bigger purpose. It's God's chosen people. It, it could translate to now the church being, we are God's chosen people. We are included in that now. So it does speak to us today, but it's not just about you. You're a part of a bigger plan. Your purpose is a part in this race. It's a part. And that just doesn't sell, right? It just doesn't make movies. But I'm telling you, it will bring new life to you. It's going to bring out a greater purpose and a greater passion, a greater understanding when we begin to grasp this. So if we're orbiting God, walking in step with his plans for our lives, that means that we are currently able to walk on purpose as in today. The band can come on up. We're totally going to do part two next week. <laughs> I got to one point. <laughs> uh, but all of a sudden, if we could shift for our purpose being some far off arrival point, or maybe for others, a, point, a checkpoint you've already passed, remember when? The good old days, I just put a flag. It's not a Bible verse at all, and I'm a pastor, but it's a flag that says these are the good old days on it in my office. Because if we don't want to remember every day, this is the good. Like, I, I don't want to always be looking back on the, the, the best days and realize, no, no, my best days are still in front of me. I'm living them. These are the good days. These are the, my purpose is right now. I didn't peak as a youth pastor. I didn't peak. I didn't reach my purpose in that moment. My purpose is still, it's not some far off arrival point. It's a daily walking and running and moving in step with Jesus. And it's a well-paced life. It's saying, hey, I'm finding the pace of my purpose so I don't have to grind so hard for fear of losing it. The Bible's clear gifts and calling are irrevocable because you can start walking in them today. 
It's a choice. Jesus made it clear. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Walk daily with me. And taking up your cross is a signifier of saying, it's not about me. I lay my life down. I submit my desires. See, when our purpose comes from our desires, we're probably going to be left pretty unhappy because a vessel doesn't know the right way for it to be used. Only the Creator does. So if you are left to figure out your purpose, you are going to get it wrong. Just going to get it wrong. And hopefully nobody hears, oh, Pastor Jim, tell us we all have to quit our jobs we hate. No! No, because your purpose is not a position. Because then man can take your purpose away. Because some somebody can fire you. Or you could fail as an entrepreneur. Or you could lose that job. I think the better question is if I lost my house, if I lost my job, if I lost my savings, do I still have purpose? If I lost what I've been working towards, do I still have purpose? And if you question that, which all of us probably do on, on some level, if we question that, could it be that we have made our purpose something temporal, not something eternal? So if I'm so scared of losing this temporary stuff, am, am I actually putting my purpose on something that's worldly? It's not of God's kingdom. It's an important question. And next week, next week, we're going to talk about the difference between living for a purpose or living on purpose. We're going to look at this. We're going to take a deep dive into it. But right now in this room, I want us to take a moment and respond. Again, I'm not here trying to give you all the answers for your purpose. I'm not trying to tell you what it is. I'm trying to point you in the direction that's going to help you to discover it. I'm trying to challenge our thinking on how we view it. So all across this room, just begin to bow your heads, close your eyes. Begin to respond. What's the application for you? I, I would hope that something got stirred in you, that you're going to do some thinking and some praying this week. The application looks like, man, how do I walk in my purpose today? And if you don't have that answer, if you're struggling to find it in the rat race of life, in the day in and day out, clock in, clock out, grind of life and parenting and grandparenting and and you feel far from anything that feels like purpose, I just feel like in this moment, the presence of God wants to encourage you, speak to you, be with you. So Holy Spirit, right now I pray that you would begin to speak to us, to challenge us on what maybe we've put too much value on, what we haven't valued enough. Would you reshape our thinking See, life is just a bunch of checklists to try to accomplish. Some sort of lame to-do list. No, Jesus, help us see that you've got something amazing for us today, right now, where we are in this season of life. There's not some far-off arrival point that's going to bring all the answers and clarity for our life. You've got answers right now. You want to walk in step with us today? You're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and yet you're new every single morning. You're so beautiful. You were, you are, you are to come. 
you were with us then, you're with us now, and you're going to be with us moving forward. So Holy Spirit, speak to us.